It's time for the Hezzy Jimbo Podcast, brought to you by the boys from Beyond the Arc. We'll talk the latest NBA news and provide our own in-depth analysis. The Hezzy Jimbo Podcast, only real bowlers know. Hello and welcome to all of the real bowlers out there. This is the Hezzy Jimbo Podcast. I'm Trent Arnold and I'm here with my co-host Min Dow. How are you going, Min? Good, thanks, Trent. How about you? Yeah, excited for this first episode of the podcast. We've got a lot to talk about. Massive off-season in the NBA, and we're just going to recap some of the biggest stuff that went on. We'll start with the most recent signing, I guess. Dwayne Wade, bought out in Chicago, signed for $2.3 million in Cleveland. How do you feel about that? It's a pretty predictable ad, to be honest. I think GM LeBron went out and said, go get my friend, and it pretty much happened. Uh, look, I think Wade had a couple of other com- competing offers. Obviously, we'll mention OKC in a little bit. Um, San Antonio, but also, I think, I think um, was Houston in play as well? I don't think that Houston was in play, but I think it was a name that was thrown around there. But I don't think Houston was ever really going to seal the deal with him. Yeah, well, I know Miami was there as well, obviously for him to go home. But obviously, I think it's a, I think it's a good ad. Look, Wade's still a pretty relatively, um, relatively productive player. Averaged eight in a game last year. But the only thing with him is, can he stay healthy? He hasn't played over sixty-ish games in the past four seasons, so that's something to look out for. Yeah, there's obviously been a lot of talk with Wade there. Um, about whether or not he's going to be impactful. I think Nate Duncan summed it up best, saying that in a vacuum, that's a good signing, good dollar value for the production he's going to give. But the problem is that he's going to take playing time off better players. So you've got guys like Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, who come across there in the Kyrie Irving trade. And does Wade coming in now take minutes off Crowder, Rose, and IT? Do you think that that's going to impact at all? Yeah, that could impact it all. And I think that um, Wade's game as well, it's, he's obviously an aging player and you know he's not as efficient as he used to be. I think last season shot below 45%. So the fit is, the fit is strange, especially with Isaiah, uh, Isaiah Thomas sorry, and Jay Crowder in the mix as well. But yeah, I think that leads us on to the, um, the IT trade for sure is where Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Ante Zizic and the 2018 Brooklyn Nets pick was exchanged for Kyrie Irving. Now, I remember waking up reading this tweet and I was majorly surprised this happened. I did not see this coming. How about you? Yeah, I, I didn't see it coming either. I didn't think that Boston would give up as much as they did. But I mean, I feel like when I saw the trade, I did think it was a good trade for both teams. Isaiah Thomas is going to replace a lot of what Kyrie gave them. And well, that's if he's healthy, sorry. So we should address the health in a second. But Jay Crowder, I think he's a great player to have on the wing. He's pretty versatile. He shoots it okay. He can put it on the floor a little bit. He can play defense. We hear a lot of people say that he slipped a little bit last season. But overall, he is a capable 3 and D guy. And I think that those two guys probably give you a better net positive value than Kyrie Irving did, especially throughout the regular season. But yeah, just IT's health. If if IT's healthy, then I'm all good with that. But if that hip injury does plague him, then, you know, Kyrie Irving's pretty big in big moments. So if Isaiah Thomas doesn't come back at least 90% of what he was, it could be a real issue. Yeah, no, I, I really, I agree. Um, as of now, it's one of the best values you can get back for an all-star, all-LBA caliber player like um, Kyrie Irving. You get a stopgap point guard, or you it's tough to say Isaiah Thomas stop back, stopgap, but, you know, he's he's a heck of a player, all-NBA, second team last year, and he always get Jay Crowder, as you said, who's a, um, he's a 3 and D guy. It really improves their depth, and I think Jay Crowder is sort of versatile, you know, can switch two, three, four positions, that sort of guy that the, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers need. Yeah, and it really improves their depth, which I really like because I think last year they sort of ran out of guys when they were playing Channing and RJ, and you know it's you know cold, cold JR Smith. It got to a point where 
think they really needed it. But overall, I think the Boston Celtics really won this trade. I'm not a huge Kyrie Irving fan myself. Yeah, boy, he's he's got his own stratospheric talent doing that. I you know it's hard it's hard to describe sometimes. Yeah, for me, it's age and upside that really helps Boston out there. I mean, Kyrie could become a lot better than what he was, and you know that it was probably on the downside there after turning thirty. One big question before we wrap this up, though, was the dog barking in agreement or disagreement? Agreement. I think it's definitely in agreement. <laughs> definitely on your side there? Yeah, definitely in agreement. <laughs> Look, I don't think they got that much worse this season in, fact, in the fact that I don't think – I think IT, as you were saying, that I think he'll dip off. He's 28, turning 29, I think, this season. And um, Kyrie's 25. So, obviously, Kyrie's still yet to hit his true prime. And I think IT is about there. And he's likely not going to have a better season than he did last year. I think this season they'd probably get better. Um, I like the trade specifically in the fact that you know they get Crowder and IT, two two players that can play this season, but then they get that Nets pick. I'm not a huge advocate in believing the Nets pick was going to be top three because I think yeah. the Nets could be a little bit better. Yeah, I think you agree with this too. I think the Nets could be a bit better than they were. Um, well, there's no incentive last year. for them to tank either, so yeah, that's a big look, factor. And they've only added guys like um, Crab, Carroll. Uh, and then the you, I was going to say, well, if you're going to look at D'Angelo Russell's 25, 7, and 7 season that he's going to have this season, I mean, that'll drastically improve the Nets there. 25, 7, and 7, you say? Yeah, I've talked it up a little bit. I do really think it could be close to 25 and 5, though. <laughs> I'd say you're optimistic, that's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, so uh, my take on the Cavs really is that I like what they've done. I think they've gotten better, but the problem is sharing the minutes between Wade, IT, and Rose. I mean, you're going to have Rose and Wade out there who really have to play with the ball in their hands because they're not effective off the ball, taking minutes away from guys like IT and Crowder and LeBron James even to accommodate Wade and Rose getting their minutes because they still think they're superstars. So overall, I think that obviously there's a lot of talent. There's heaps of big names there. But for me, there's so much redundancy there. And it's just who's going to handle the ball. And if you're going to have to take the ball out of the hands of your best playmakers like LeBron James to accommodate Wade and Rose, I think it's a negative impact overall. But... I mean, if they can make it work, there's plenty to work with there. So hopefully they can improve on last season and give the Warriors a real run for their money. Don't forget, they'll be taking touches away from your boy Kevin Love as well. Yeah, well, Kevin Love was probably thinking before these deals happened that he was going to be the second most important player on that team. He's a good player too. He is, and he's a lot more efficient than the guys we mentioned. And how does he be the second focal point on offense now with all of these guys there? I mean, I'm not sure that he can be, but... We've been talking about the Cavs for a lot now. We might just move on to the Kyrie trade, the Boston side of things. Like you said, you think Boston won that trade. They've also picked up Gordon Hayward, free agency signing. We'll touch on that a little bit. But then they lost Avery Bradley, uh, Isaiah Thomas and Crowder and obviously Zizic. Uh, A few people have said, you know, losing Crowder and Bradley that they might have lost a bit of that defensive dogginess about them. But I think that they've added some talent there. I like Kyrie, Hayward, Horford. I mean, that's a pretty good core there. Uh, Celtics better or worse and talk individually on the additions as well if you can I don't know I think they're better I think look they also lost Kelly Olenek and Amir Johnson as well but um, look they've added some big names Gordon Hayward all NBA caliber player career year last year look he's, he's only entering his prime now he's still he's still a heck of a player um, two way player put the ball on the deck get to the rack but you know he's also proved his outside shot I think it was near late 30s last year as you said, Kyrie Irving, but they also added guys that could fill in the gap that you know that Bradley and Crowder with Marcus Morris from Detroit in the Bradley trade, Jason Tatum, who they drafted with the third overall pick this year, um, your boy Shemi Ojale. Uh, yeah, I am pretty the second round. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about Shemi Ojale. I think 
now that like obviously with a few of the moves there with Crowder going, I mean, if Tatum and Brown aren't as good as they expect, I mean, Shemi could get a few minutes there. He really could, and yeah. but also the the internal growth of um, Jalen Brown. I'm a, bit, I'm a big fan of him as well. Athletic, mm-hmm. could potentially be more than a three and D guy. It could be a great fit for Boston. So I think overall the Celtics did get better. I think it's a rare occasion where both teams sort of got kind of what they wanted in in the trade. Whereas you know everyone always says, "Oh, one team won, one team lost." I think both teams kind of won, especially for this season. Yeah, I kind of agree that they've got way more upside. I think it might take him some a while to gel. But what do you think about losing Avery Bradley, IT and Crowder? Like, do you think that's going to affect them at all? Well, obviously it will affect them. But I mean, how much does losing Bradley affect them? Do you think? Look, I think it hurts their perimeter defense. Um, I think we've gone over a couple of times just between us. I think that Avery Bradley is one of the best hit to hip defenders in the league. Yeah. Just in terms of staying on the ball, not getting touched by a screen, only giving up that one dribble and getting back in front of him immediately. Just he's excellent. There's very few guys that are elite in that aspect of the game. I think Crowder is a good defender. Obviously, as we were saying like last year, I think he had a bit of a down year. He, look, he's going to regress to the mean. He's going to be, he's going to be very good to... Yeah, I think he'll be more engaged defender. in Cleveland and playing less minutes, yeah. he's going to be able to assert himself defensively. One, yeah. one thing I actually forgot to mention, the Celtics also did acquire um, Marcus Morris in that Bradley trade. So like yeah. he, him and Horford together playing the four and five, I mean, Hayward's not a huge rebound. If you've got Hayward... Marcus Morris and Horford. I mean, that team is going to really struggle to get any defensive rebounds. And yeah. Kyrie Irving's not a strong defensive rebounder at all. I mean, they're going to really struggle on the defensive boards. So I think they're going to have to really figure out a way to shore that up. What do you think? Where do you think that can come from? Well, isn't there a saying um, defensive rebounds, five guys get a rebound? Like, isn't that a team effort? Uh, look, I understand what you're saying. The personnel isn't great in terms of that side of the court. And I think it's last year they were showed as well. I think. They were 27th in um, defensive rebound percentage. That's not good at all. That is, look, if you look all time on the greatest teams ever, all the championship winners are top five in defensive rebound percentage. Even look at the Golden State Warriors. It's because they clean the glass and they don't give you an extra chance at it. As soon as a shot comes up off the glass or a miss, they get the ball. They're like, nah, we're not giving you a second chance. It hurts when another team only can go out, only can go out there with one possession and one shot attempt every time down the court. And they've just, it strangles them. And the Celtics have got to fix that up. And yeah. Look, I think the addition of um, Aaron Baines as well, one year, four point four point three two million dollars from the um, the Pistons. I think that'll help. Yeah, I think Horford and Baines time. could play a bit together as well. I think that could definitely yeah. try and. I mean, if Horford's willing to accept that role at the four for a couple minutes a game, they could shore things up a little bit there. No, I, I think I think the wings got to help out. You know, the 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 Tatum's and the the. Jalen Browns, the Haywards, those guys have got to chip in with yeah. their four to six rebounds a game, and they've just got to. It's a team effort. They can't rely on um, on guys like Morris and Walford, yeah. especially when they're notoriously, as you said, are just poor defensive rebounders. I will attest to the fact that as a guy who plays sometimes centre at standing less than six foot one in social basketball, <laughs> I must admit, when there's five guys rebounding, it definitely helps a lot. So yeah, instead of you getting crushed on the glass. <laughs> Oh boy. All right, we'll move off. We were trying to make these snappy. We're not going too long on these ones. So we'll move on to one of the other most talked about teams this offseason. It's going to be interesting because there is a lot to consider when it comes to these. Because we'll talk, talk about the Mellow trade, I guess, in a vacuum first. Uh, Mellow for McBuckets and Canter. And I think there was a second round pick in there somewhere. What do you think of that trade? I mean, how much better does that trade in a vacuum make the OKC Thunder? I can't, I can't, I can't believe this. Honestly, I think as a as a Rockets fan as well, that 
you were in the sweepstakes of Mallow. I think I don't think we can believe like in the return they got. All they all the Knicks got was Ennis Cantor in his contract, Doug McBuckets and a second round pick, wasn't it? That's yep, it. that's it. I can't believe they didn't want Ryan Anderson. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't believe they didn't want Mo Harkless. Like Yeah, I can't I believe you guys didn't get a foot in the door. That sucks. I understand that obviously Mello had leverage here with his no trade clause, but boy, oh boy. I understand Mello, you might get one or two years only of Mello. He might be a rental, but still. I think you've actually got a lot of passion about this, and I'd love to hear you take. Give us 45 seconds worth of pent-up rage at the Mello deal. Tell us what Portland could have given that was so much better. The rumoured deal was Maurice Harkless, Myers Leonard, Ed Davis expiring, and a protected first-round pick. That alone is better. You get a young 3-and-D, potential 3-and-D wing, get an expiring cap relief, Myers Laird, eh, it's okay, but you know, his contract's all right relative to the cap. But also a first round pick. That's a lot better than Ennis Cantor, no defense Ennis Cantor, who who James Harden made into a milkshake in the playoffs. I mean, yeah, targets, who 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 hasn't proven to be a second line, you know, rotation play in the league yet. All he could do is shoot, does nothing much else, and that second round pick's worth garbage. You can look at Myers Leonard and go, Ugh, but I mean, when you look at Ennis Cantor. I mean, Myers Leonard can shoot and he plays better defense than Canada, so... <laughs> <laughs> Myers Leonard doesn't even play that great of a He team, doesn't like play it. good defense. <laughs> it's still Ennis <laughs> Cantor. Yeah, that's my point. Like, I can't, be- I can't believe that's what they got back. You know, anyway, I'm done. That's, that's, that's my 45 seconds or more. And, I'm done. <laughs> and does Melo make them better then? Look, on a, I've heard polarizing thoughts on this, but I think overall makes them better. Um, just in the fact that I reckon they get a guy who can average 20, 25 points a game you can put the ball in the bucket, and obviously OKC wants Olympic mellow. They want that guy who can catch the ball in rhythm, get buckets, and put his ego aside. That being said, I haven't seen anything like that from Mello since maybe 2013. Well, I think one of the sort of misconceptions from Australians is that Mello was good in the 2016 Olympics, but he was absolutely trash. Like, he scored 30, 35 or whatever against Australia and looked awesome. And in every other game, he was like under 20 points, I think he shot like 40% from the field and like 25% from three in the Olympics. Like he didn't get any rhythm. He didn't show that Olympic mellow thing. So I think if, I think it especially comes from Australians, but I think it's also from a lot of other people on basketball Twitter. I don't think Olympic mellow is really a thing. I mean, we saw in 2012 he was good, but I mean, that's what, five, six years ago now. I don't think he's the same guy. So I like the mellow edition. I do think it makes them better, better center option than Cantor. Obviously, he can play a good bit of stretch four, but I really don't think he's going to be as good as people think. And if he takes away shots from Paul George, who was the other addition, then that's where I think it's an issue. So with Mello and Paul George, we've had McDermott, Cantor, Oladipo, and Sabonis being shipped out. Those two for those four. Overall, I think they're a lot better. What's, what's your take on that? Yeah, you, they, they can't not be. In terms of talent, it's just, in terms of just basic ins and out on paper, as you just mentioned, they're just better. Look, it makes their starting lineup look very dangerous. You've got Adams, Mello, PG, Robeson, or Robertson, and then you've got Russell Westbrook. My only thing is what you said before, is how how much they take away from each other. Westbrook, as we definitely know, um, needs the ball. Paul George, you know, he can sort of fit in, in in and out, but at the same time he kind of needs the ball at the end of the day. Carmelo definitely needs the ball. Like, even if you get that mindset of Olympic Mello, I don't – it's going to be tough still, and I don't think it's going to be there, in my opinion. Yeah, I and think... And then, um, sorry, go on. Yeah, just another underrated signing that I haven't mentioned yet, Patrick Patterson. I also like him for a bit Ooh. of, yeah, roster versatility. You look at mm. him... I mean, Robeson might not even need to play at certain stages when you're behind. Like, you obviously need him for his defense because he's so good on that end, but you look at, yeah, Westbrook, 
Patrick Patterson, Roberson, Mello, Paul George, Adams. Look, there's so much flexibility there. That's a really solid six. And I think any closing five that they put out is going to be really good two way. Is going to be a really good two way team, and they could be absolutely yep. elite on offense and defense if they can get it all together. I think so. That, I think they're scary. I agree. I think that um that Patterson's a big ad. I think as we both know, I think we know that um Patterson is one of those guys on Toronto. He was always positive in terms of on-court plus minus. Because yeah, he's an advanced Larry, stats darling. Yeah, because he was just, he could do everything. He could he could hedge on pick and rolls, he could drop back, he could switch out, temp, temporary, temp switches. He could space the floor, he could sort of put it in the deck a little bit and, you know, kick it out. Like, he's sort of that role player that you like. The, the sort of guys that, like, high-efficiency role players, you don't need the ball a lot, but they produce in their, in their, in their usage. That's the sort of guy I really like. You were saying that um, that we top 10 both offense and defense. Last year, there was 16th in offensive rating. Surely, they're better this year. I have to be. Yeah, I think they can get into the top 10 easily with the additions of PP, Mello, and Paul George. For me, I think there's two things that's really going to make them a much better squad. We, they had the issues last year with Russell Westbrook going off the floor, and then they were absolute garbage. I think this year with Paul George and Mello, like they can both stay out there, stagger those minutes, and I think they can have 48 minutes of solid production from the team. And I think also yeah. the starting and closing lineups, whichever whichever way they decide to go with the closing lineups, those closing lineups are going to be really good. So 48 yeah. minutes of production plus solid closing fives, those teams are going to be, I think, a really good team, a lot better than 16th in offense. And I think they could easily be top five in defense as well. So, I mean, I think it's a 50-win team easy. Yeah. And I also think that when it comes playoff time, because of the Defend because of the defenders they have, lockdown defenders, it's going to be really hard for, say, a guy like Harden to go up against Robeson and Paul George. I mean, if Westbrook, yeah. if Westbrook comes to play and can actually guard Chris Paul in the, in the playoffs and do a good job of it, if you've got George and Robeson running around on Harden, I mean, that's going to be the hardest game of his yeah. lifetime. It's going to be yeah. so difficult for those guys. And even, and even Patterson, like, he can, he can switch out on Harden every now and then. Yeah, he do can. A, do a pretty good job for a, for, a, for, a, for a forward as well. Yeah, I agree. One thing, one thing you did mention before is the staggering of the minutes. My only issue is, look, I, I, I really don't think Donovan can mess it up this year. But last year when he played guys like Samaje Christian and Norris Cole as yeah. a backup for Westbrook. He, like, yeah, I didn't get that. That sort of, sta- that sort of staggering for that he didn't put Oladipo in that backup role and utilize him more as opposed to just – in the starting unit with when West were just like siphon possessions his direction. And that's what made Oladipo look worse than he was. Yeah. I don't think Oladipo is particularly a bad player. I think he's quite good. But at the same time, I didn't think he was in the right position. And I think that I'll be interested to see how Thunder do it. Is it, is it going to be a, a your turn, my turn offense? Or is it going to actually be have continuity and there's going to be full movement and it's going to be pick and rolls and that sort of, that sort of aspects? Is that going to be like, or is it going to be what we saw last year? Donovan, Donovan just rolled the ball out to Westbrook on the court. Westbrook just did what the hell, did whatever the hell he wanted with it. I actually, because I did a little bit of research on Donovan before he came in to coach the Thunder, and I think that's actually just how he likes to run his offenses. So he likes them to be really point guard heavy. They're kind of like the uh, Mike D'Antoni offense in that way, where he likes a primary ball handler to dominate the ball and get guys shots. So I think even though you've got PG and Melo now, when Russ was on the court, I still think that Russ is going to be very, very ball dominant. But I think that they can make it work. I mean, you've got probably, what, 13, 14 minutes a game where Russ is not going to be on the floor. PG and Melo can go out there in those times and get their ball hand and stuff done. And when Russ is out there, if he just plays a facilitator role, those guys will get plenty of shots, plenty of looks. So 
I think they can make it work. I don't think it's going to be a really pass-happy environment. I think it's going to be the Russell Westbrook ball-dominant show again. But I think that on catch-and-shoot scoring opportunities, as long as they get their buckets, I think Melo and PG can stay happy. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. And I, I think it's hard for you to mess up the minutes this year. You've got three all-star caliber players. You really can't mess it up. You've always just got to have one on the court, especially against bench units. And imagine that. Imagine having Melo or George against bench units. That is a terror for yeah. teams around the league. Well, I think I've been a little bit too high on OKC now. I mean, I spent the whole entire of last season bagging them out, bagging out Russell Westbrook, and I've just had like a five-minute love mean, fest. So do you mean uh, false MVP Russell Westbrook? That's, that's the, that's the guy I'm talking about, yep. <laughs> Let's move on to the real MVP, and we'll talk about the Rockets here. Obviously, they added Chris Paul, which was massive, and they were going to do it in free agency, but worked out that the money, they would have had to shed salary in other ways, so they traded him for Patrick Beverly, Sam Decker, Montrez Harrell, We'll get into it a minute. Into a minute, I can let you know some of my feelings about seeing those guys go. But pretty optimistic about Chris Paul, and he also brought in with his, I guess, leverage. A few guys wanted to play with him. You got PJ Tucker who come and signed for about eight million a year. Then you've got Luke Embarmute, which apparently I can't pronounce. I'm not 100 percent certain on this, but I'm pretty sure he signed for the minimum. So I'm yep. pr- pretty excited to have those guys in because that gives the Rockets defensive versatility and some grit that they didn't have last year. And people talk about losing Beverly in that regard. But, I mean, CP's a better defender than Beverly is. And you've got Luke and Tucker, who are probably our two best wing defenders now. I mean, they're both, in my opinion, better than Ariza. So I'm pretty excited about some of the lineups that we can throw out there now. Sad to see Sam Decker go, especially, because he was one of my favorite players to watch. And I think Harrell, <laughs> I think Harrell was bound to be just like a 10, 15 minute player a game guy because yeah. unless he can play at the four and like become a real like maybe a shooter from the four, I don't think he's a center. He's like he he has to play at center at the moment because that's his skill set. But the guy's only like six foot seven and he can't really protect the rim or rebound or play defense. So I think he's not really that important. Not a bad guy to lose, but yeah, sad to see Decker go because I thought he had a lot of upside and obviously going to miss the dog Bev because he's he's such a great guy, such a great player. and He's just such a dog. Yeah, he was the heart and soul of the team too, a lot of people would say. And, I mean, it's hard to disagree with that when you watch him play. But I think to get Chris Paul, I don't really care who the heart and soul of the team is now. I'm just happy to watch Chris <laughs> Paul and James Harden run around. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree. Look, I had I was on the Rockets wagon last year. I really think they'd be a top four seed and, and Harden would be an MVP. I actually thought Harden would M- should have won MVP, but anyway, that's a, that's a whole other story. Yeah, that could be a podcast into itself. Yeah, I could spend 40,000 minutes talking about that. But no, look, I really enjoyed the offseason that Daryl Morey put together. As he's mentioned, Chris Paul, James Harden, they kept Eric Gordon, Trevor Reza, despite the mellow rumors, PJ Tucker, Ryan Anderson, Marmute, Capella, and, Hala- and Nene, sorry. That is a good top eight, nine players. I think that could yeah. really... I think we've got a solid yeah. 10, 10. 10 rotation, which is good. Yeah, but I think it's 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 a team that should be people should be quite worried about. I think a lot of people had the um, had issues about Chris Paul and James Harden. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, actually. Was, that was my next question. What do you think of the fit with the ball-dominant guards playing together? I think at the end of the day, you've just got to keep it simple. Do you add Chris Paul or you do not? Do you add a top 10 player or, you, or don't you? Oh, you, you, add, d- you do. You definitely do, right? So you, you add him and you make it work. Mike D'Antoni, he's been in the league for over a decade. He'll figure it out. You know, that the pace and space system is always um, integrated and in how the league is now. There's enough There's enough, There's enough. enough possessions, there's enough usage around for two guys like that, two all-NBA top 10 players like that. 
you fit them in, and then you fit them in with shooters like Ryan Anderson, Tucker, Gordon, Ariza, and you've got a hard roller to go on the rim like Capella as well. It's just it'll be a nightmare, and I'm sure that D'Antoni will stagger the minutes so Chris Paul and Harden will always be on the court. Yeah, he just has imagine said that. that. That's that's ridiculous. Imagine being you know a backup point guard, and you're like, oh. That's Chris Paul. Oh my God! Like if go against him for at least twelve minutes a game, that's ridiculous. That you're going to be killing guys for forty-eight minutes. And I really like the addition, despite some controversy behind it. So when you started talking, I had two things that I wanted to address. And as you spoke, I just they kept going up and up and up. And I think I've got about five things to address. So first up, the forty-eight minutes thing, the staggering of the minutes. One hundred percent agreed. Dan Tony's already said that he will do that. And I think that actually addresses some of the ball-dominant issues with the guys, maybe feeling, people feeling like they might not get their touches. I mean, Chris Paul's only going to play 30 minutes this season. That's what he played last season. He's getting a bit old now, so he'll try and limit his minutes, which means James Harden still, of the 34 minutes that he's going to play, 18 of them are going to be without Chris Paul, which means yeah. that he's going to be playing point guard for more time than he's not playing point guard because him and uh, CP will share the point guard duties while, while he's out there. And for those 18 minutes that he's by himself, he's going to get to run the show. He's going to get his assists. He's going to do all those things. And then when Chris Paul is out there, I think this is the answer that Harden and Chris Paul always go to. It's we're both high IQ guys. We're great playmakers. We can play on and off the ball. I mean, why the hell wouldn't that work? And that's kind of where I'm leaning to at the moment because James Harden, for all of the things that people say about him, I don't think he's that worried with not giving up the ball. Like I think when he sees someone open in a position of leverage, he'll give it up and I these days when he does, well, last year when he did that, it was to Ryan Anderson or Trevor Ariza who might have had an edge on their player and they'd have to jack a contested shot. But for Chris Paul, if he's got a little slight opening, James Harden will dish him the ball and what he's going to then be doing is attacking a closeout. And so when yeah. you've got Ariza doing that, I mean, it doesn't look that pretty. But if you've got, <laughs> you've got Chris Paul playing as a secondary playmaker and he attacks a closeout, I mean, that's dangerous as hell. And then on the other foot... James Harden can obviously attack a closeout as a secondary playmaker. I mean, he can attack as a primary playmaker, so he's not going to have any issues as a secondary guy. And they're also both pretty good as old catch-and-shoot shooters. James Harden's actually fairly elite in that regard, and Chris Paul's good when he's got time. So I think those guys are not going to have too many issues fitting together. I think it's just going to be more about whether or not they can stay on the same page all year and maybe not clash egotistically. I think that's maybe the only concern, but I think that both of the guys have tried to put their egos aside because they want to win. So I'm fairly optimistic as a Rocket supporter. As you were saying, just attacking closeouts, having Chris Paul or James Harden doing that is incredible. Yeah. Also catch and shoots. Last season, James Harden had an, a, had an effective field goal percentage of 58.4% on catch and shoots. Imagine that yeah. with Chris Paul now. Does that, that, that hit the 60s, early I mean, 60s, mid-60s? Like, that's, that's dangerous. When you think about that, um, yeah. It's just incredible that what what James Harden could do with that amount of space on the wide open three, as opposed to last season, everything was off the dribble, yeah. a lot more contested. When you think about the fact that Bobby Brown, Tyler Ennis, and Eric Gordon are the playmakers setting him up for those looks, Bobby you got Brown. To, yeah, exactly. You got to think, oh Jesus Christ, what is he going to do with Chris Paul? And I think it's going to be good. I think his shooting was down a lot last year. He he, sh- he shot a lot of threes, made a lot of threes, but he took like ten a game and made three point five. I think this season there's a good chance that he actually raises his three-point percentage up closer to 38% again, and that'd be good for his numbers. I mean, the guy could have a 64% true shooting next season, which I know you'd froth over. Oh, yeah, no, that, <laughs> that gets me real excited. <laughs> All right, we're running a little bit long on these, so we'll move into the next section. Last team in our 
I guess, big off-season deals. And it's obviously Jimmy Butler to the to the Chicago Timberwolves. <laughs> Sorry, obviously it's Jimmy Butler to the Minnesota Timberwolves. I know they have Tibbs and Jimmy, but that doesn't make them the Chicago Timberwolves. Uh, we've got, yeah, Jimmy Butler for Zach Levine and Chris Dunn. And obviously they swapped picks 16 and 7. Laurie Markinen went to the Bulls. And you'd probably have to remind me who went at 16. I think it was Patton, maybe? Yeah, Justin Patton. Yeah, Patton. And so... All in all, who won that trade? I think it's pretty obvious. A lot of people have had their say and it swings one way, but give me your thoughts. I think the Chicago Bulls won that trade. No, nah, I'm just kidding. No, nah, the Timberwolves, Minnesota Timberwolves <laughs> definitely. Definitely, won that, definitely won that trade. Look, you know, if you get an All-NBA player for um, for a guy who's probably a six-man at best in Zach Levine and Chris Dunn, who, boy, is he even going to be a rotation player? And well, like, that's, yes, he's going to be able to play defense, but just offensively, yeah. is he going to be able to provide any value? Yeah, that, and then you've got Laurie Markman, who's a bit of a question mark in the league. Um, yeah, look, you, you can't you can't go wrong with that trade at all. I think they robbed them, they fleeced them, and they maybe got ten cents in the dollar. I don't know, I might be a bit generous there. But when you add a guy like Jimmy Butler, um, who you mentioned before, Taj Gibson and Jamal Crawford, they also added Jeff Teague as well on a fifty-seven million dollar contract for three years. Yeah, I did forget that, and that was actually a nice signing. I don't mind the Jeff Teague fit; can handle the ball and can shoot it fairly well. So. I'm optimistic about him. Yeah. How do you, sorry, um, how do you see the them all fitting together? Because I think you've had a big opinion on this throughout this whole offseason. I'm not hugely optimistic on the Wiggins and Butler fit as such. Um, but I do think that if Carl Anthony Towns is playing at the centre and you've got, say, uh, Jeff Teague, Jimmy Butler, Andrew Wiggins, a stretch four, I think they need maybe like Nemanja Bialicia to break out and play more minutes. I think they can make it work. I'm hugely optimistic on Towns, which is why I think the Wolves are going to win 50 games. But I think one of the issues that they didn't address in the offseason was they signed Jamal Crawford and uh, Taj Gibson, who are both, I guess, okay players. I think Jamal's definitely over overrated, overvalued as well. But yeah, if they could have gone out and got a Patrick Patterson, say, who signed for pretty cheap in OKC, if they got him, I would have been absolutely up on the Minnesota Timberwolves this season. But yeah. I guess without adding that 3 and D guy, which they've kind of missed out on, the, yeah, it's kind of dropped a little bit there. I'm not as big, but I still think with the talent they've got, they can stagger minutes like we mentioned before. I mean, if you split Jimmy and Wiggins up as much as possible, you've got two scorers. We've got elite scorers for 48 minutes a game. So kind of like with OKC, I think they can do a bit of, they don't quite have the same two-way talent, but they've at least got enough talent to play 48 minutes of great basketball. Yeah, no, I agree. Oh, look. That's just a spacing issue. They've still got Gorky Zhang as well. Doesn't that doesn't really quite help the issue. My yeah. only yeah, as you were saying before, my only issue is how they share the ball. Jeff Teague's ball, relatively ball dominant. Andrew Wiggins, we know, needs the rock. Jude Butler definitely needs the rock. Carl Anthony Towns can sort of fit in like to any lineup really. That's what makes him special. For example, last year, Andrew Wiggins led the team with um, a usage rate near thirty percent. That that was higher than Towns, higher than Levine higher than all the other guys. That's got to go down. And with Butler there as well, that's going to really chew up his possessions. Yeah, I'd say if Towns doesn't have a higher usage rate than Wiggins this season, then I'm going to personally go and find Tibbs and track him down. (laughs) Yeah, that'd that'd be a travesty. Look, that's my only issue. Look, last year they were 10th in offensive rating. I think that's their their floor this year because just with talent alone, that's their floor. How he balances up the the shots and the usage and the minutes between all all these... all-star, all-NBA caliber players is one thing. But also, can they defend the ball? Last year, they were pathetic defensively. Absolutely atrocious. For a team with Tom Thibodeau as a head coach, I really would expect better this year. 
I really like where you're going with this because you keep adding points to the questions that I'm just about to ask you. So I was just about to ask you about defense. I mean, I'm optimistic myself. I think that as the wing defender that's guarding the second worst guy, Wiggins will be much better. I think Butler's obviously an elite defender. I think Jeff Teague, if he can be engaged and if Tim's can get him, Tibbs can get him locked in, I think he can be average. And I know a lot of people bag out Towns, but Towns had a really good rookie season defensively. It's just last year he played way too much time as a power forward and he's kind of lazy out there on the perimeter, doesn't get any stance. But as a rim protector, I think he's actually really good. So if he can see most of his minutes at the five, I think he can be an average to above average defender. And I think they can easily get into the top 15, but that is all reliant on them buying into Tibbs' system and Tibbs playing them in the right way. So it'll be interesting to see. Look, if Tibbs gets away from the two big lineups and puts Towns more at five as opposed to the four, yeah, I reckon he could be a plus defender this year. Yeah. As you were saying, I think Wiggins not having him to guard the best wing defender is good. And Teague, I think Teague's a good defender when he's switched on, which is maybe 40, 45% of the time. Seems like he's asleep half the time on the court. But as you were saying, they just have to buy in. If they get a defense around the average 15th rank, that's, that's a flaw that you could relatively be happy saying, Look, they could be a four or five seed easy with a 15 defense in the league. I agree. Well, anyway, Min, we've been going for a long time. This has been good fun. We'll be back next week. Anything else you want to close out with? One last thing I'd probably like to say is um, Clyde Leonard's better than James Harden. Yeah, okay. We'll just cut that one off the end of the podcast. <laughs> Make a mental <laughs> note. Anyway, good chat, man. If anyone wants to send us some Twitter questions, Facebook questions, Find us at Beyond the Arc. We've also got our Hezzy Jimbo podcast stream coming up on SoundCloud and iTunes. Hopefully you can find us there. Subscribe, leave a review, helps boost us up the rankings and considering we probably don't have a following at all at the moment, any boost up the rankings would be great. Appreciate any help there. Thanks for your time, mate. See you next week.